We're blessed to have your word, God. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, God. It's instruction manual for this life, Lord, for our walks, for us to get through, Lord. We not only have this, God, but you said that you, as you, you breathed on the church, Lord, Jesus, you breathed on the church and, and you gave them your Holy Spirit, Lord. That's our power to walk in these things, Lord, to do what your word tells us to do, God. We want to uh, bear witness to what, with what your word is telling us this morning, God. We want to hear your voice, Jesus. We know if you're lifted up today, you're drawing men to your side, Lord. And that's where we want to be, Lord. We want to be closer to you. Uh, so we just pray for that this morning. Pray that you would bless this time in your word, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So chapter 7, if you remember, was a chapter of national repentance and revival. The whole nation turns to God. We see in verse 2, it says that Israel, in, back in chapter 7, lamented. Their hearts were broken over the Lord. They missed him. And then Samuel gives him the ingredient for revival, for repentance. He says, if you return to the Lord, and that's the key. Right? If you're out there, you're not walking with the Lord today, if you don't know where you're at, then number one, he says he turned to the Lord, they turned to the Lord with all their hearts. Like 100%. Not like, ah, maybe I'll give it a try this afternoon. Or No, they turned to the Lord 100% with all their hearts. And then it says they put away foreign gods, the Ashtaroths. We know those were an avenue of sin for these guys. And they put them away. They identified the areas in their life that were holding them back, the sin. And then he says, prepare your heart for the Lord. Like, watch and see what I'll do. And that's the thing. You know, a lot of people never get to that point because they, they don't turn to the Lord with all their hearts. And they don't put away their sin. So they never get to see what God wants to do in a life, in a marriage, in a family, in you personally. Because they never do the first two. And, and as we read last week, they did that. And God brought a great victory. But what you see in that, and I don't remember if I told you guys this last week. Um, immediately they do that. There's this repentance. And right away the enemy comes in and attacks. Right away here comes the enemy. He sees this great this great victory and cry, and here comes the devil to tr try to squash what you're trying to do. Man, Lord, I want to get back to you. And all of a sudden, here comes a temptation to go back to that sin. Here comes a pop-up on your phone or on you know, something or that person that you're trying to avoid. You know that, that's not been a good influence on you. There they are. They show up, right? The attack's coming. When you want to walk with the Lord, trust me, temptation is coming. They'll, it'll be there. And, and so chapter 7 is this great highlight moment for the children of Israel. They had waited 20 years to get to this point. And now we turn to chapter 8, and I would say chapter 8 is kind of a, a, another low point for the children of Israel. Between chapter 7 and chapter 8, there's between 30 and 35 years have taken place. Samuel is now married. Uh, and, and raising children. And what we're going to see in this chapter is the children of Israel moving away from God's original design, his plan. 
of a theocracy where God is their God and he is the one that's leading them, teaching them, guiding them, right? They were supposed to be a peculiar, peculiar people. They were supposed to be different, right? Kind of like the way, kind of what the church is supposed to be today, right? Salt and light in this world. They were to be a light to the Gentiles, You guys remember the story of Jacob, how in Genesis 32 there, he, he, he's Jacob's Jacob, right? He's a surplanner. He's a, he's a guy that gets, knows how to get his own way and will accomplished, even if it's God's will for his life. And Jacob's that guy who just knows how to get what he wants, right? You probably know people like that, that, you know, all right, I can give this job to them. They know how to get it done. One way or the other, right? Whether it's by the spirit or by the arm of the flesh, they're going to get it. And that's who Jacob was. He was this guy that just did his own will. But he did love God. And finally, after years of him doing that, right? You know, getting the birthright and the blessing, tricking his father, his mom helping him trick his father, and then going to Uncle Laban's and Laban tricking him and him learning all these things and, and real, realizing, all right, I got to go back home. I got to get out. I'm, now I'm stuck. I can't stay with Uncle Laban. And if I go home, Esau's going to kill me, right? Because I didn't leave on good terms there either. So he's going home and, 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 and God meets him there at the Brook Jabbok. You know what the, that means? You guys probably know this. The Brook Jabbok, it means emptying. That's really what we need to do. God wants to empty of us of ourself, our carnal nature, our selfish attitudes. And that's where God meets with Jacob. And he, God, it says that, that uh, the angel of the Lord, it's really God, wrestles with him. Right? And finally, God wins. And that's, that's the way it should be in your life and mine. Let God win. That's a good thing, right? When he wants to wrestle with you, when God's wrestling with you over something, sin, let him win. And so, so God does that. He says, listen, you're not going to be called Jacob anymore. You're not a, you're not a, 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 a guy that's going to be tricking people. Your name is Israel. That becomes their national name, governed by God. Now they're different, supposedly, Right? Israel, governed by God. And that's what Israel was supposed to be, this nation governed by God, that he is in rule, he's in authority of their life. In Exodus chapter 2, you guys remember the story, as Moses is there, he goes through this, you know, 40 years in Egypt, learning to be a ruler there. He's going to be a ruler and he tries to help God out, deliver his people, and he kills an Egyptian. He has to run, and he's out in the wilderness for 40 years. Now it's 80 years, and God meets with him, right? 40 years to figure out, Moses, I'm the man of the hour. Then 40 years to figure out, you know what? I'm pretty much nothing. I thought it was something. And that's where God sometimes needs us to be, like weak, so he can be strong. And Moses is there, and all of a sudden, there's the burning bush. And he goes and he's like, well, let me see what this is all about. And God meets with him. He says, I want, want you to deliver 
my people. And Moses there is arguing with God. Who, are, who am I? Who are you? Who, who's going to speak for me? I can't talk. You know, he's got all these excuses. But Moses says, who do I tell them sent me? Who, what's your name? Who are you? And God says, I am that I am. Right? I am the all-becoming one. I literally means I'm whatever you need. That's the God of Israel. I'm what you need a deliverer, that's who I am. You need a provider, protector, a helper. You need a shoulder to cry on. That's who God is. I am what I am. I'm everything you need. You don't need more than me. You don't need less than me. I am that I am. And that's who God was for Israel. And they saw his faithfulness, right? Deliver them out of Egypt and protect them and give them this promised land, right? And then we're going to see in this chapter, this is a low point in their life. They're, they're going to be like, we need a king. We don't, you know, God's cool and all. It's great what, we, what he's done in the past, but we need a king. And it's a sad day for these guys. This is a sad, kind of a sad chapter, and it leads into, leads from the days of the judges into the days of the kings. It says in verse 1, it came to pass when Samuel was old, 65, uh, between 60 and 70 right now. It came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Not necessarily a bad thing as you, as you read that. Maybe the natural course of events. It says this, the name of his firstborn was Joel. And the name of his second was Abiah. And they were ju judges in Beersheba. You know, you remember, you know, parents here, remember naming your kids, like going through the list? Uh, you know, what, what, what's their name going to be? It has to have a meaning. It needs to, you know, it needs to say something. It needs to, you know, who do we want these guys to be? Is it going to be a girl or a boy? You're waiting to figure out you're having a boy or a girl or whatever. Well, these guys, they obviously don't have ultrasounds. So there's, 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 you know, boys' names, girls' names picked. What's our favorite ones? What's our... And, and you know, Samuel here picks out some pretty cool names. Uh, Joel means Jehovah is my God. Jehovah is my God, right? Great name. Abiah or Abijah, Jehovah is my father, right? And if anybody knew that in the world, it's Samuel, right? Because mom leaves him at the temple there five years old, and he learned something very special that needs to be passed down to our children, right? And, and there's not, the, the theme of today, some of the theme of today is stuff we've covered before. It's raising our children. That's, that's part of what we're talking about here, because we're going to see here all the hopes and dreams and plans and prayers and everything that Samuel has for his kids, it doesn't come to pass doesn't happen the way he mapped out for his life and for his kids and the thoughts and the plans that he had for them. It's not going as planned. And our kids need to know Jehovah is my God. And, and sometimes you think of God, man, it's rules, right? And, and our kids need to know that. There's rules. Let's give them rules. That's, that's easy for a mom or dad to give our kids rules because it keeps them in the boundaries. We don't have to correct them as much. We don't have to, you know... It's, it's easier, right? 
just don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, right? And, that, and you know, you keep them inside the rails and you never really see what's in their hearts. And, you know, I don't mind that. It's easier. But then he says, listen, Jehovah is my father. That's, a, that's, that's another level, guys. Our kids need to know God as a father, right? I, I, think, I think as you look at the New Testament, and Jesus, you know, the, the most tender term that Jesus describes himself to his disciples as is his shepherd. Man, my sheep, I know them, he says. I know their nature. I know, you know, if you're a coach, if you've ever coached anyone, or just a parent, whatever, every kid is different, right? Some to get through their head, You've got to yell at them to, you know, a lot. And to, oh, then their ears open up finally, a little, right? All right, good. Wooden spoon, whatever. Some, if you, some if you yell at them, it like, they melt. Like, you've lost them, right? You just, they're gone. You just, you can't talk to them that way, right? You just, you, you just there's no instruction is over. Uh, it's you, you got to wait until everything settles down again in their hearts and your heart, right? And that's who God is. He knows your nature, and our kids need to know that. As not just a God, but as our Father. Like, He knows you. He says, I know my sheep. I know everything about them. I know their nature, their character. This one I have to yell at. This one, if I raise my voice, he just melts. This one, if I, you know, this one I have to give a little kick to. They're, they're all different, right? You know, you have, we've got a lot of kids, and for, if you have any kids, you know, all right, here's one, and you have another one, you're thinking they might be similar, and then all of a sudden they're not. And then a third one, it's, you think, all right, this one, it's going to be like this one or this one, then you realize there's a whole other direction they go in. Like, wow, how could it be so diverse? And that's what happens when you raise your kids, when you know your kid. They're different. They're so different. And, but they need to know he's not only your God, but he, he wants to be intimate. He knows you, and he's your father. He wants to have fellowship with you. Fools are easy. We want to share the big things of God, but, man, we want our kids to know if they have a God in heaven who cares, who knows them, that's the most, you know, you read John 10. Jesus said, I lay down my life for my sheep. That's his love. That's his care, right? Undeserved. They're just sheep. I mean, if you guys have animals, some people really love them. I, I like animals too. But listen, Jesus said, I love you so much, I'm laying down my life for you. Who does that? Who does that? laying down my life. So he's got high aspirations for his sons, loves them. Verse 3 says, but, but his sons did not walk in his ways. And they turned aside, aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes. They perverted justice, right? Our kids are all subject to temptation. They all are. There's something's going to come in, right? Billy Graham three said three things in the ministry that you have to be aware of. That's women, money, 
and pride. Right? You've got to be very careful of those things. Right? And our kids, listen, our kids are going to get tempted. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? We need to train them. We need to pray for them. And, but our kids, if you're anything like my wife, I'm joking. Uh, if you're anything like me or my wife or you, uh, kids can, it, that can be a blind spot to us. Our kids' behavior, right? Our kids' behavior and what's going on and, and how we should be correcting them, right? Because so often everyone's like, your kid is corrupting my kid. Well, no, no, I'd spend some time with your kid too. Your kid's not, the, not an angel. <laughs> no, he is at home for you, right? But that can be a blind spot. I think I shared with this, this with you guys before. You know, uh, Joe Foch hired Don McClure. He put him on staff at Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Uh, and, and he says, Don, listen, uh, part, one of his duties is, was, is to say, listen, what are my blind spots as a pastor? What am I not seeing? Because we all have them. What's my, what am I not seeing in my life? Is it how, am I, how, am, how I'm treating my kids, how I'm raising them? Is there something in the ministry that, that you see that's not right? Don, tell me. Right? Well, you guys need people like that in your life, and I need people like that in my life. Somebody that just loves you, willing to say, listen, you're blind in this area. You're not seeing it right. Not seeing the full picture. We need to be careful of that. Because our strengths, I talked about Peter last week. I don't know if I talked about Moses too, but Moses, you know, the Bible says he's the meekest man who ever lived, right? And how, what was Moses' weakness? He got angry. This meek, gentle guy leading God's people. What was, what was the problem with him? He got angry. Peter his strength that he told Jesus, now, I'll never deny you, I'm ready to go to prison. What was his weakness? He denied the Lord, right? He, got, he was weak in the area where he thought he was strong. And the Bible says, those of you who think you stand, take heed lest you fall, right? Those areas of our great strength and pride. Maybe Samuel may have thought, and I'm not putting Samuel down by any means, trust me. We're going to take a look at maybe one way, one something, that maybe he didn't see in his life that affected a lot? But is there something that we're not seeing? Something. Is there a blind spot? You look at Jacob and Esau, two kids, man, they're twins. And so diverse. One goes one way, one goes the other. One could care anything about the Lord, doesn't care anything about the Lord. The other one, man, just wants to serve God. Not perfect, right? And you have that. You can have that in families. You can have that in families. And, and Samuel, you know, he knows Eli's mistake. His failure was to restrain. He's the one that had to tell Eli, listen, here, here's what God showed me last night. God's told you over and over, you're not restraining your kids. You're not correcting your kids. You're not raising them right. He sent prophet after person after, and now, it, it, you know, now you're going to pay, unfortunately. So if anybody had that in their mind, 
it's Samuel. And if Samuel did anything wrong, we're not told, but if there's anything wrong in his life, it's found back in chapter 7, if you want to look with me. <clears throat> it says this in verse 15 of chapter 7, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Like he was committed to service. And you should be. Verse 16, it says, And he went year to year on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. A 50-mile circle. But he always returned to Ramah. That's his home. And it says, There he judged Israel, and it says, There he built an altar to the Lord. He had an altar, a place of worship, a place of sacrifice in his home. But you know what? Maybe, and the Bible doesn't say, maybe he was gone too much. Maybe he wasn't there as a dad. Maybe the ministry took over. Too. When he came home, man, he did read with his kids. He shared with them. He prayed with them. He did those things. The problem was, maybe, and I'm not saying this, but it could be. Maybe he just wasn't there enough, involved enough. You've heard it said before, you know, children, kids spell love, T-I-M-E, right? They don't want when you come home just laws, rule, this, that. They want to spend time with mom and dad. They want to do things, right? I've had, I, I, I know people, you know them too, they're gone a lot. Work is taken away. And they're great providers, but they're not great dads. Amazing providers. They could give their kids anything. Just not great dads. It's not there for them. Not spending time with them. And then as time goes on, you know, they come home. And, and, and be, being someone who is a disciplinarian or somebody that needs to, you know, mom, mom's home alone and, Hey, I need your help, all right? Well, dad doesn't want to come home and just be a disciplinarian, so that goes to the wayside. And then all the time is gone, too. And you're not spending time with your kids. And then they're gone. Remember, we, we talked about Hannah. She lived her life with an expiration date on Samuel. She knew he was leaving. She knew she had this much time with him, and she poured everything she could into that kid. That's why Samuel is who he is today. And I'm not saying the Bible does, does not say that Samuel erred in that way, but I'm, I'm wondering if maybe that is the case. He missed it as a dad, right? You need to be present as a dad, as a mom, around. Super important. They went after dishonor. It's not who Samuel was. If you want to turn with me to chapter 12 just for a second, it was not the example he left. Verse 1 says, Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice and all that you asked, all that you said to me, and I've made a king over you. Now here is the king walking before you, and I'm old and gray-headed, 
And look, my sons are with you, and I've walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. He says, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Or who have I cheated? Who, who have I oppressed? Whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I'll restore it to you. And they said, you've not cheated or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hands. And then he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, he's witness. Right? That was not the example that he left his kids. Someone that took a bribe or cheated or took money. Right? But they did that. They were tempted. And that was really some of what Eli's sons had done. It was part of the problem in the ministry years previous. And then it says this in verse 4, And all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, right? They're actually doing the right thing. They, uh, here's a problem. Let's go talk to Samuel. That's unfortunately not the case with so many people. They'd rather talk about someone than go to that person. But they actually gathered all the elders, the leaders of Israel, and they came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, and here's two, two great things, an observation and a discernment. Hey, hey, hey. look, you're old. Yeah, it's true. What, what are we calling old, though? Nobody likes to be called old. I'm sure Samuel didn't appreciate it. Look, you're old, and your sons don't walk in your ways, and that was true. But here's the problem. Here's what they decided to do. They said, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations, right? Here's our solution. We want to be like the world. We want a king like the rest of the world. The Amorites and the Ammonites and, and every other king, the, the, the Egyptians, we want a king. Why? Why? God's hand of protection has been on them all these years. Over 400 years as a nation. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 12. If you want to turn there with me, Ken. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, in verse 1, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. <clears throat> and then he says this, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be trans transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? It's in the word of God. That's how you're transformed that you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This world, the natural course of it, wants to conform you into its image. It's just doing that. If you just don't read your Bibles, even if you come to church once a week, whatever, this world is shoving you into its mold. It wants you to think like it, act like it, have its same moral compass, direction, 
And he says, hey, don't be conformed to this world. Don't do what it's doing. You don't have to be like the world. And that's what Israel wants. They're saying, hey, make us a king. Like the, we want to be like everyone else. They're like little kids. My friend's doing it. They're doing it. Can I? You know, I yell at my kids all the time. Like, I don't care if they're doing it. It doesn't bother me. That's their parents' problem, right? I don't care. I'm your dad. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed. Let that change you. Let that be your influence. Let the Bible be your source, your foundation of truth. Right? Because we're living in a day, if you guys don't know this, I'm sure you do, just look around, turn the news on, look at social media. Man, this world is trying to shove us and conform us into some crazy, wicked things. The days we're living in. And that's what Jesus said if you read Matthew 24, right? Luke 18. Or Luke 21. The days of Noah. Jesus is coming back. His clock is based on a moral compass and where the world is going. Days of Noah, the days of Lot, right? Jesus said, keep your eye on the fig tree. When it blossoms, May 14, 1948, the fig tree blossomed. Israel becomes a nation out of its land for 2,000 years. Never happened before to any nation, ever. Jesus said, watch the fig tree. When that begins to blossom, the clock is going to start ticking. And then it's going to be as the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And that's the days we're living in. Read about it. Pretty crazy days, but it lines right up with what you see on the news, TV, social media, and the world is trying to get our kids shoved into this box where all that stuff is okay. And that was the problem in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, that it was okay. It was socially acceptable. And I think we're pretty naive in this country. Wes is going to be here in a month. And, you know, I watched a video. It's, you know, I don't know what age group kids should be in here or not when, when Wes comes because it's kind of graphic what's really taking place with human trafficking and what's going on in other countries, right? We're so naive here and so blind with what's going on, what's going on with people and children. We're just like, let's serve our kingdom. And the church at large can be blind to what's going on. And they're asking for a king. Well, listen, we want to be like everyone else. We want to be like the rest of the world. And the thing displeased Samuel when he said, when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Man, I appreciate Samuel. Samuel has been serving the Lord faithfully for years since a child, right? He gets dropped off at the temple at five years old. He could be almost 70 years old right now, and here's the next thing he's got to deal with. Make us a king. Give us a king. And Samuel, you know, you ever get angry with someone? I did yesterday. I was at a basketball game. And the coach on the other side, I was arguing about a call. 
this has never happened to you guys. This is hypothetical. This will never happen to you guys. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to tell the ref, you know, it was the ball was tipped or whatever. And the other coach is yelling something. I'm like, did you even see it? They're like, no. I'm like, then be quiet. <laughs> like, yeah, I said it. I did it. Yeah, I said it. So then he asked me after the game. And I was like, yeah, you didn't see it. Why are you commenting? I don't, you know. And he walked away. I'm like, ugh can't study now. So I had, I'm like, Marissa, give me the guy's number. I got to apologize. And I called him up. He really appreciated the apology. I, I called him up and said, hey, I'm so sorry. That was dumb. I just get into the game, whatever. I should not have talked to you that way. I shouldn't have. And he appreciated it. Still wasn't right for me to do. I prefer not making those calls and doing the right thing on this end. You know, that's, that's, it. that's why I appreciate Samuel, man. It's like, he doesn't ream these guys out or lash out or argue with them. Like, what? Are, are you serious? What are you thinking? He just lays it out before the Lord. Remember, Hezekiah did that when the Assyrian Empire was coming after him. And Hezekiah just took this letter, this threat, and just went to the temple, and he laid it out before the Lord. Lord, what do you want, us, want me to do? God says, don't sweat it. I got you covered. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. Right? And that's what Samuel does here just praise, right? That's a great lesson for us. Sometimes we just got to, all right, let's pray. What should I do? Lord, settle my heart, right? That's just a dumb basketball game. I failed, uh, and I shouldn't have done that, but it was good. I'm, I seriously am glad I called the guy. He appreciated it. He says, man, I really, that means a lot to me that you called me. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm going to share this tomorrow. Samuel just prays, and this probably isn't the answer he was looking for. The Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me, that I should reign over them, right? He's like, Samuel, I've been doing this for 400 years. They've been rejecting me. They haven't rejected you, it's me according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt to this very day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, and now they're doing it to you. It's so sad, you know, I'm in counseling, talking to people, trying to lay out, hey, this is, what, this is what's going to happen if you choose this direction, this path. It's not going to be good. And you know, people go off the rails. They do their own thing. It's like, oh, man, Lord, what could I have said different? What, what could I have done different? <laughs> Was there better verses for me? Is there more? What else can I offer people? And they, but that's the reality. They're not rejecting me. And I can take it personal. Maybe you have, you know, when you're trying to share with someone, dude, life and death. Why don't you receive the Lord? You could go to hell. Like, no, nah, no thanks. What's better? Like, what are you doing that's better than that? Like, nothing. They're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the Lord. And it's unfortunate when people do that. Paul said this in, in 2 Corinthians. He says, the more I love you, the less I'm loved. The more I pour out into you and spend time take the time for you. I don't know why, but it's the less you love me back. You don't appreciate it. You know, and it's sad. 
It's sad. You put a lot of time and effort in people and counseling and marriages and it's just people in general, and then they just, see you later. Oh, dude, why? Where are you going? Where are you going? It's sin, you guys have heard this, will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that's what he says here in verse 9. Heed their voice, however, solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. And so we'll go through these verses fairly quickly, and you'll see a, a, a common theme that the king is going to be a taker. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He'll take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. And he will appoint captains over thousands and captains over fifties. He'll set some to plow his ground, to reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards. Does it sound familiar, New York? He'll take your vineyards, your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give them to his officers and servants. He'll take your male servants, your female servants, the finest young men, your donkeys, and put them to his work. He'll take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. Doesn't sound good to me. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. It says, nevertheless, the, re the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, nope. we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he re repeated them into the hearing of the Lord. He's just talking it over with the Lord, right? He's talking to the Lord. The Lord hears all this. But that's the, you guys know that in prayer. Hey, you're just talking to the Lord. All of a sudden, he's talking back to you. He's giving you answers. He's telling you things. That's how God communicates with us. You're just talking things over with him, telling him, oh, man, Lord, what do I do? What's, and then he just begins to speak to your heart, you know? And you repeat him in, in the hearing of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city, right? So he's, God's going God's to bend to their way. You know, Psalm 106, the commentary, uh, you know, uh, uh, what he did in Israel when, when they wanted meat. He says, man, I gave them the meat that they wanted, but, but then he sent leanness to their soul. Right? Because a lot of times we go our own way, we do our own thing, and we think, this is going to make me so happy. And it's like, oh, it's so unsatisfying and unfulfilling. And they're going to find out the hard way, and I learn the hard way sometimes. So I'm not, I don't want to point too many fingers at Israel, because I learn the hard way too sometimes. And they're going to find out this was the wrong choice. To have a king. Uh, but God does have a king for them. If they would have patiently waited, 
Deuteronomy 16, 17, 18 lays that out. Uh, um, Genesis chapter 35, as God speaks to Jacob and Israel, he says, kings are going to come from your loins, right? David, Jesus is going to be that king that comes from the line of David, right? Kings were in his plan, just wasn't his timing. He gives them a king that they want. We're going to see next week, Saul is head and shoulders above everyone. He's the most handsome, strong, the biggest guy in Israel. That's what they want. But when God chooses a king, he's going to tell Samuel, listen, I don't see the way man sees. I look at the heart. That's the guy I'm going to pick. I want a man after my own heart. But impatiently, kind of like Jacob did, they're looking for something that God wanted to give them in the future. And we can be so impatient. If you're not married yet, don't get impatient. God has got someone special for you. Don't take second best. Right? If you've gone your own way and done your own will, we know that Joel says that he's a restorer of the things that the canker worm, the moth, has eaten. So the Bible says, Joel says, that he'll restore the years, those years. God wants to give you years back. Just wants you to come back to him. That's what they did in chapter 7. So simple. Revival, repentance. He's waiting. He's got good counsel for us. So, Lord, we're so thankful for your word for the truth of it, for the warnings of it. Lord, uh, the Bible says that all these things were written for our admonition, written for us, that we could look into them and, and get warning and teaching and instruction. We don't have to do the same thing Israel does, Lord. We don't want to be conformed to this world. We won't, don't want to get shoved in its mold. We want to be different. We want to be set apart for you, God. We're just so thankful for your love, Jesus. We are so thankful that you are our shepherd. You're our father. You're a friend that sticks closer than a brother, Lord. And we just want to give you our lives. I pray this truth would penetrate our hearts, our minds, that we'd remember it, Lord. we get the proper correction where we need it, Lord. We're so faithful to us, Jesus, in your name.